Hi, I'm Lance, and this is Unsilent, a speak series by No Stigmas that champions mental health advocacy and challenges the stigmas that all too often prevent people from getting the help they need. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. You see addiction and, and trauma um, as a core to, to mental health. You know, I, I want to broadly define them as well, because trauma, when people think about it, you know, more and more people are talking about it now, which is great in many ways. Traditional trauma is thought about, right, as like a sexual trauma of a assault or misconduct, physical or emotional trauma, but there's so much more to it. Um, there's societal and communal trauma, right? There's the trauma from digital and social media as well now impacting folks, there, which is chronic. It's not a one-time event. Traditional trauma is often thought about as a one-time, um, you know, event that occurs and then you develop these symptoms, but Life doesn't work that way. And uh, life works with chronicity, right? And I think that people experience things one after another and they add up. And it's really hard to say when you're working with someone, hey, what's the one thing that really like caused your PTSD? Because, you know, it's kind of a bullshit, archaic way to think about it. And then there's also intergenerational trauma. We know from, you know, research that things get passed, emotions get passed down and hypervigilance and those types of things associated with trauma can get passed down as well. And um, I see that in my own personal life to some extent that I'm continuing to dive into, right? You know, as a son of immigrants, they worked super hard to establish a life for my sibling and I to achieve what we can achieve. And I'm grateful for that, right? Like these things behind me, like they didn't get to do that necessarily. And I did, right? I got to go to those schools and I got to do it. And but with that, I'm in a position now where I'm actually able to dive deeper and ex explore and understand these, these factors that led to the mental health framework of my family. But the generations before me might not have had that opportunity or chance to do that. So those things get passed down as well. And I think that, you know, generally as a community and society, we are, our generation millennials or Gen Zs are talking more about these things because I'll say this loosely like we kind of have quote unquote a luxury to do it in some ways right i think that we've we're also advancing as a human society despite the shittiness that we might see in the news of how the world is going we are in a place of this form of cognitive intelligence and luxury to start to examine these factors and to better ourselves um and that's pretty powerful now the thing is how do we make sure that's accessible and that we can bring it to everyone across the world because it shouldn't be that luxury anymore. Um, and, you know, addiction stems into this as well. And I'm sure that you've seen this or you've experienced it in those around you is, you know, unhealed traumas or people not understanding the, gaining the insight into it. It's easier to numb the pain and addiction is a great way to numb the pain and to dissociate and I have trained, I, you know, I've, I've taken care of a lot of folks who are unfortunately homeless. And in a way, you know, people have this perception that people who are homeless, there's a lot of drug addicts and they see substances and it's like a mess. And why don't they do something better with their lives? And okay, I can, I, I, I'm here to listen to your perspective on that. But I would argue that if you're a woman and you're homeless and you're living in San Francisco or New York or Los Angeles, it's not safe. And if you can do some methamphetamine 
to stay awake so that someone doesn't come and rape you in the middle of the night, you're going to do it. And it's protective. And if your life is so in shambles that you are going to do some heroin or some fentanyl to try to dissociate from reality for, you know, a couple hours, you're going to do it. And so I am a very, I'm very conflicted in my head about it. And I think that we've failed as a society and we've left people with this, this route where addiction and substances can help numb and heal in some ways or temporarily put a bandaid on these traumas that they've experienced that we as a society have not addressed. And that's why, and, and you know, chronic use of these substances can then lead to other mental health conditions, right? And things like depression, you know, even psychosis and so forth. And so the root is trauma and the root is addiction. And that's substance addiction. There's other addictions of thought process addictions, negative uh, thoughts that you have. And actually this addictive behavior and reinforcing behavior that gets you stuck to those negative thoughts, right? That can lead to anxiety and self-loathing and suicidal behaviors and gestures. Um, in addiction to certain types of relationships, whether it's a love or sex addiction or in addiction to the relationships that are similar patterns to the traumatic experiences you had as a child, right? So I want people, I guess my challenge to people is to, when you think about these two terms of addiction and trauma, broaden your mind to what that entails, because it can really encompass pretty much every human experience that you can have. Let's say that, you know, there's, there's a guy, he grows up in his household and um, his mother is emotionally unavailable or unstable, right? Is sort of in and out. Maybe there is a history of some intermittent alcohol use or something like that. That pattern becomes what is normal for that person as they're growing up, right? Their caregiver is that person and that's what's normal and that's what they feel. They start to learn to feel like this is what I deserve, right? This is what I deserve to be with. And they also will eventually develop a certain level of security with that pattern. Um, is that healthy or unhealthy? You know, we don't know, right? And it's unhealthy for the most part, but <laughs> think about it, right? It's, it's, if that's what you know, that is what's normal, you start to build security with it because it's human nature. Then you're out in the world as an adult, you know, um, who's trying to find intimacy and relationships. And um, let's just say for all intents and purposes, this is like, you know, a heterosexual male, right? He's out and about, he is in college, he's out at bars trying to find a mate or whatever. And you're going to unconsciously and subconsciously be attracted to that similar pattern, knowing it or not knowing it. And because there's a level of security, and I would argue this is going to be a little bit more out there, but, you know, there's, uh, our nervous system is based on hormones, signals, and electrical impulses, right? Actual electrical impulses you can measure. That frequency can be generated outside of your body, right? And you connect with others. And the bonding that can happen, right? You release certain hormones when you see someone and you bond with them, right? Oxytocin, whatnot. There's other, I would argue there's also a lot of other levels of frequencies that start to align and your soul start to align and so forth. Those patterns growing up have framed your nervous system and your hormonal regulation. And so a similar pattern will, even if you're consciously not thinking like this is the person, your body is going to respond to it and start to release that and then create that thought process. So the work comes in of healing is 
to step back and do the therapy and the process of gaining the insight into it and then reframing your thoughts and your somatic and physiological experience. And so, you know, when I say relationships, addiction and trauma, it's if you don't actually have the chance or the opportunity or the desire to gain that insight, you start to become stuck in those patterns and they start to present in an addictive way because even though it's a bad behavior, your reward circuitry will start to frame that way and you'll get more and more dopamine release from being with someone like that initially, right? And despite of how bad it makes you feel or whatnot, you still won't be able to reflect on that piece of it. Um, so I know it's a lot to digest, but the essence of it is like, there's whatever you build in security as a kid, you're going to be attracted to later because it's what you know. The thing that drives me is how do we really bring innovation, which is in my mind, taking it back and simplifying things, um, not creating more apps and technology necessarily, right? It's, it's about understanding the human experience and how do we bring these innovative ideas and start to actually create accessibility and start to really connect people from around the world and from every facet of the world. Um, and so I do that through a few different means, right? I think that my clinical work is something that is super special to me and uh, as emotionally taxing as it can be sometimes to be able to sit in a room with someone else who's there and willing and wanting you to enter their life um, for a fraction of it or you know, a couple of pages in the book of it is pretty special. Um, and and, and t telling me their story, right? And so I would never give that up, even if it's once or twice a week, whatever it is, like that's something I can never give up because it keeps me humble with the realities of what people are experiencing. Um, and that's super important to me. So I'm gonna continue to practice. And then, you know, my baby, uh, the Minds Foundation is like started in 2010. I was 20 and it's basically my life so i will always continue that and what i've learned from that organization and the experiences of being with the staff the supporters and more importantly the people in the communities and the beneficiaries no one could have ever taught me that stuff in residency or training or school um you know to be out there in the field you know we do a lot of work in india the premise of the organization is improving mental health literacy to empower people and you know i've been empowered by them i have been able to learn from so many people in so many corners of the country and the world and have that opportunity and so i can't give that up because it's not about sitting at you know um the ivy tower and coming up with these like cool plans of mental health accessibility it's about being in the community and talking to people about what is it that you're dealing with and what is working because you guys know we don't know shit sitting in these towers right degrees don't teach you that stuff so that community level work is what's important and um yeah i i think i'm gonna always continue that and you know one of the things that i really want to do that i guess would be more innovative <laughs> is is within this space it's also thinking about what works that's not just traditional treatment um pharmaceuticals are, are great in so many ways and I've had so many people benefit from them, but it's not the one answer for everyone or for the majority, right? And um, what can we do earlier on 
to, to detect and to prevent and to empower people. And so education is one of those technologies, right? Is getting into schools early and teaching kids about mental health and about tools for resilience. And like, you know, they learn this stuff from kindergarten and then they're in middle school and their peer is struggling. They can be like, hey, we're out on the playground. Like, let's think back to what we learned and help each other out and prevent things. That's like one piece of it. The second piece is like, can we use, can we think about the body and communities more? Are there biomarkers, not just genes, but biomarkers of metabolism, of nutrition? Is there ways to measure human connection between each other that we can start to understand at a deeper level? And through those pattern recognitions, detect if someone is going to be more prone to depression or schizophrenia and catch it early on. Right. Because we know that things like psychosis and schizophrenia and depression and anxiety, all of it, if you could treat it early on, you can actually prevent the um, detrimental prognosis of it. So why are we waiting till people show up in the clinic or until they're homeless or using substances to numb these symptoms? Um, we can do a lot more at a preventative measure. And so I know it's like I feel like I just said a bunch of stuff to answer your question, but, you know, it's really like. I understand now that I need to really honor my own mental health to be able to do all these things. And so that's sort of the foundational grounding. And, and other than that, it's just about like innovation's cool, but always think about accessibility because even, even an app for mental health, whether it's Headspace or Calm, it's cool. It hits a bunch of people. We need it, but is it hitting the people who don't have a smartphone or the people who have a smartphone but aren't literate to use the smartphone feature. So let's think a little bit more deeply about that and about measuring what works and replicating that. Like, can you measure the benefit of human connection and can you scale it? So it's called the Minds Foundation. Um, originally it stands for Mental Illness Neurological Disorders. And yeah, so I think I, you know, as I was speaking about before, I had spent some time in India volunteering with another organization. What really came to light was the, the epitome of all issues, which I believe is mental health. And obviously I have a biased opinion. Um, and having a family member start going through the system there really exposed me to what resources are available and aren't available. And um, the obvious reason for starting in India is I had spent quite a bit of time there. My family is from there originally. And there's a deep connection. There's just something about it that's an intangible feeling of community. And it's kind of the one place I never feel alone, even if I am physically alone. And I don't know what that is. And so I wanted to explore that. And um, I felt that in Nepal as well. There's a magical feeling with Nepal and I don't know what it is. And so Anyways, uh, I digress to this idea of what is home and how do we find it. But Minds Foundation started in 2010, and I um, incorporated before my um, third year in the university, before junior year, this wild idea that, hey, like, instead of starting just a clinic or a standalone physical space to help mental health or, um, you know, a research organization or a school, why don't we think about just providing education in communities and empowering people to use existing resources that are there and bridging the gap and scale it that way. And, you know, I grew up with this premise that education is power. I've seen it. I've witnessed it happen in my family. And so let's just do it. And so 
I brought this idea back to school with a couple of friends and, you know, some of them uh, jumped on board with me. We raised some money um, through traditional, you know, bake sales and frat parties and just random things like that. And um, with the first kind of eight to $10,000, we developed a curriculum, developed a partnership with the University Medical School in Gujarat, India, with Dr. Sandeep Shah, who continues to be a partner and, a, uh, you know, advisor and board member of, of Minds Foundation based in Gujarat. And I was a kid then, he was a psychiatrist running the department. You know, we believed in each other and we shared a vision for community mental health and uh, hired our first staff member and we did it. And um, that following summer in 2011, two of my friends from Wesleyan went and spent the summer there. I also went there, launched into 13, 30 villages, I'm sorry. And we just did it. And we had a, uh, you were, we learned so much along the way. We were providing transportation to the hospital to get treatment. We were doing vocational training, getting job placements. And we learned what is it that, you know, as a, as a nonprofit, there's only so much you can do. And you need to start to learn what your golden thing is. Like, what are you going to be, what's your gold standard? And over the years, we I learned quickly that it's education and that we are the mental health literacy organization primarily, right? And so we started to hone that in more, continue to do it, expanded to working in schools. So providing mental health education in schools for children and teacher training, and not on symptom recognition, but on how do you create a classroom that is welcoming and that opens discussion for this. We trained frontline health workers, some of whom were not literate because as much as people told me mental health is an intellectual thing and you can't let people, lower socioeconomic people won't understand it, it's complete bullshit. Everyone can understand it because we all experience it. You just have to make it accessible and that's what we did. And so we've done that and um, we've developed programs like that and we launched the first 24 seven mental health line in India um, in early COVID and it's continuing to run. Um, We've had months that we've hit, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 calls a month, but on average, we get about 300 calls a month, which is still pretty significant. Eight out of 10 calls come from rural parts of India. So that says a lot, actually, about people needing help and actually reaching out. Um, we have a virtual counseling center that is super subsidized um, with high quality care. And, you know, over the past few years, we've been able to partner with larger brands like Cadbury to do a huge children's mental health campaign that hit over 3 million people in a month. We've been able to work with Fiamma, with Netflix, you know, with Meta, like all of these big organizations. And it just shows the conversation is growing. And, you know, over the years, I've seen people enter and exit this field of mental health because what it takes is not just an understanding and running an awareness campaign. What it takes is working with the community and sustaining it. And for me, it's been a roller coaster and I've wanted to give up so many times, but at the end of the day, if it helps one person that year, it's like worth continuing. And, um, you know, I get emotional about it now because our team right now, actually in world mental health month, this month of October and world mental health day this month, They've been posting um, our staff as posts on social media with a little description. And I see that these people have been with me for almost a decade, some of them. You know, people have interned with us, left, gone and worked in consulting, came back. And there's something that attaches us all to it. And it's the community work. And so 
you know, we've, we've helped over 3 million people, um, with pretty minimal budget <laughs> and, and it, it's a struggle, but we continue to do it. And it's just, I'm just going to do, I mean, I'm going to continue doing it forever. And, um, the people I've been able to meet through it has been amazing. And the number of people who are involved with it has been amazing. And, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to be the name associated with it anymore. Only I want people to recognize it as, you know, Minds Foundation, like this is the community level grassroots mental health org that's doing it, you know, like they're out in the field doing it because it's what it is. And that's the beauty of it. And uh, yeah, you know, through that journey, the thing that I've been able to experience is to gain slowly over time, a deeper understanding of the human experience of that. We're all not, we're not that different from one another. And, um, you know, if you're a farmer in Gujarat or you're a child in a monastery in Nepal, or, you know, you're an influencer in LA at the core of it, like you're not that different. All we're all looking for is a sense of identity and belonging. To go beyond the show, be sure to connect with us on all social media platforms at No Stigmas. And you can always reach out at nostigmas.org to connect with us and see how we can team up together to champion mental health equity for all. Remember, to break these stigmas, we must be unsilent. We'll see you next time.